come humbly yet boldly once again to ask for your favor, to cry out to you for your mercy and grace. We come to you asking for ears to hear, for wills to obey, for the gift of your spirit. that we might be changed into the image of your Son. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Amen. Please be seated. I was uh, trying to remember this week at what age our kids started using the phrase, it's not fair, all right? Uh, maybe your younger moms and dads who are here, uh, you might be able to tell me what age your kids started using that phrase, it's not fair, right? There we go. Without even using it, we know it's not fair, okay. It might be at least age three, maybe for the precocious ones, age two, but somewhere, somehow, every child begins to use the phrase, it's not fair, right? It seems to be an innate predisposition within us that we expect and demand that the world be It's there. It just erupts within us. And I have come to see, I think, that this is one of the great strategies of the enemy. This twisted lie that grips us so much and actually uh, forces us and gives us this predisposition to expect these things in all things. Even in terms of our relationship with God. In our postmodern day, in our pre-modern day, I think this is true. I think most people would have this innate understanding that if God was to be active in our world, in our lives, that God must be fair in that action, right? We expect God to not show favor. We demand of God that he not show favor. And that gets us into trouble. Now, the Apostle Paul says God shows no favoritism. God shows no partiality. He just said in Galatians, and to the Galatians, and there is something true. That's where the truthfulness of our innate predisposition comes. God is, in and of himself, shows no partiality to anything and anyone. And yet, and yet, as we read about his revelation of himself within the scriptures, God is constantly showing favor 
to some and not to all. And it starts right off the bat. Right off the bat. In response to our rebellion in Genesis chapter 3, we read in Genesis chapter 4 that God chose Abel over Cain. Abel's sacrifice was worthy. Cain's was not. We're not told why. It's just a given. He chooses one over the other. We come to the generation after Abraham, and of course we know the story that God chooses Isaac over Ishmael, both sons of Abraham, and yet one is a son of promise and the other is not. In that next generation, God chooses Jacob over Esau, the younger twin over the elder twin. And Jacob is not chosen for any good thing in himself. None. It's just done. Gone on. Joseph is chosen. The 11th son of the 12 sons of Abraham, let alone his daughters. But again, you see the pattern. There is always a choosing of the one or the few over the many and the all. God constantly, it seems, shows favor, and it goes on and on and on and on and comes to its climax with the call of Mary. Listen again to Gabriel's greeting to her. It goes like this. This is the very first words out of the angel's mouth. Greetings, O favored one. Greetings. O favored one, the Lord is with you. We're not told why she is the favored one, just that she is. She alone among women, all women, not just her generation, but all women of any generation is the favored one. And Mary says that herself, as we just read by David, that my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. All generations will call me blessed. So here we have this dilemma. We believe and worship a God who shows no partiality and yet has revealed himself as one who has shown a great deal of partiality. Right? Has showed favor upon favor to an ever-increasing Minutia of people. So what do you do with it? What do you do with that besides simply looking at it or responding negatively towards it? And there is a lot of negativity in our world about this favored chosenness. Not only of Mary, but of the Jewish people. 
Well, the first thing we got to do, I think, is simply acknowledge that it's true. That in the mystery of God, uh, the God who shows no partiality, he has shown this partiality to the nth degree. It is true that God has chosen the people of Abraham to be his vehicle to bring blessing upon all. God has chosen in time to be partial so that for eternity he can be universal. That's what the story of Israel is all about. It is the choosing of this one people to be, bring God's blessing upon all peoples. And this for a very particular reason. This is how Paul describes the history of his own people. It comes from Romans, the ninth chapter. It's a very fascinating little piece. He is making an argument about how his own people have not responded to the preaching now of his gospel. But he says this about them. He says, they are Israelites, the chosen ones, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. That is a glorious summary of the whole Old Testament history. Uh, God chose this people and then blessed them with all of these things. He uh, invested his life. He revealed himself in all of these ways with them and them alone. And to what end? Well, he says, to them belong the patriarchs, good old Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen, he says and worthily says. Paul is saying that the entire history of God's dealing with the children of Abraham, the Israelites themselves, is so that God could bring about this one birth. That God could bring about the birth of their Messiah, their anointed one, who happens to be God in the flesh. God overall, blessed forever. This is the glorious good news of the gospel, that in God's particularity with this one particular people, he has fulfilled what needed to be done for all peoples. He has made a way for himself to come in the form of his son as one of us, one of them, dare we say, the Christ of Israel, God over all, blessed forever. Paul says in himself that in this Christ, God unites all things to himself. That's why he's come. That's who he is. That's what he alone can do. He unites all things to himself. Things in heaven, the heavenly realms, and things on earth. Indeed, even things underneath the earth, he says, Ephesians 
That's salvation at work. The intention of God is to have this one come, to be born of Mary, so that he might unite all things in himself. That's the story of Israel. It begins again with a call of Abraham and climaxes with the call of Mary. It begins with the call of the new Adam and ends with the call of the new Eve. And through this calling, these two people in this particular calling, God gives birth to the last Adam, the one who gives birth to the new humanity that is now able to live within this new creation with their God. In this one, God unites all things, things in heaven and things on earth. And so if we come to esteem Abraham as the father of our faith, guess what? We have to esteem Mary as the mother of our faith because both were required to give birth to this one. And so we do. That's why we come every year at this time of year to rejoice in the particularity of Mary, this one. And it is right and good for us to say with Elizabeth that blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And so I would challenge us all, I would encourage us all to delve into this particular mystery, that without this particular person, there is no universal blessing, none. Mary is absolutely unique, not as unique as her son, but almost. And we need to glory in her and not worry about glorying in her because some have abused that glory. So there is one of the challenges for us this day is to glory in this one, to delve into and give thanks for this particular blessing that was given to her alone and not to us. It's the first thing. There's always a second. The second is this. Even as we glory in Mary, uh, we do so understanding that even though that in her particularity she is to be blessed among women, that somehow through her faithfulness the universal has indeed come. That there is this tension now between God and his dealing with the particulars of Israel and his blessing that is now flowing out upon all flesh. And you can see that even how the gospel treats Mary in the rest of its chapters. In fact, there's only two stories given about Mary in the gospels uh, during the time of Jesus' own ministry. Uh, and they are very interesting stories. The first comes from Luke chapter 8. This is early in his ministry as he is beginning to have his reputation be known throughout, and he is being received and welcomed by many within Judea, but also opposed by many 
in Judea. And that tension between those who respond to him and those who oppose him are, is ever increasing. So much so that his parents, his mother and his brothers hear about this and are concerned enough to seek him out. Right? Mark says that the word is that he had gone out of his mind and his people now were coming to help him out. And we read this, though, in Luke. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. Now, think about that. In that culture that was commanded to honor mother and father, one of the ten, right? honor mother and father. When mama spoke, the good son responded. Right? That was the expectation of that culture. Your mother and brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But remember what Jesus said. He answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. That is a shocking statement in that culture. Jesus is saying, in some sense, the universal now has come. <laughs> the blessing from the particular has been realized. And now I am reconstituting the very family of God around myself. My mother, my brothers, are those who hear my word and do it. Remarkable. Similarly, chapter 11 of Luke. Uh, Jesus, again, is performing miracles after miracles. His teaching is just overwhelming. And there is a woman in the crowd who is so overwhelmed that she blurts out, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. And again, you can understand why. Behind every good son, there is a blessed mother. And that's true, thank God. Right? But remember again what Jesus said. He said, no, <laughs> blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. The very same message given before. The universal now has begun. <laughs> the blessing is for all. It is not the family of God is no longer bound by blood. It's bound by obedience, faithful obedience to the word being given. That is the key now to this new family. It's the key now of entrance into this new humanity. But guess what? That was the key into the first family. And that first beginnings of this new humanity. That's the beginnings of Abraham, and that is the ending of Mary. Think again about the call to Abraham. Chapter 12 of Genesis. 
Let me read it to you. It's, it's too good not to read in full. God said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. That's his command. Go. Here's the promise. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Abram heard that command, received that promise, and responded to it. The very next words we read in the text is this, and Abram went. Abram went. Having received the word from God, he believed it and he acted on it. He did it. As at the beginning, so at the end. Remember about Mary. Gabriel comes in the story preceding the one we read and says, after he says, you are favored, he says, look, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And when Mary says, how can it be since I'm a virgin, I'm not yet married? He says, well, listen, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the most high will overshadow you. And therefore the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. Those are incomprehensible words. They're world-shattering words. What do you do with those words? Well, this is what Mary did. Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your As at the beginning, so at the end. See, the beautiful reality of Abram and Mary is not only are they the key figures in the old covenant, the ones that God begins and ends this story with, but they are also charter members of the new. They are the ones who respond to the word of God given to them with faithful obedience. And they become our paradigm for such faithful response. So we come today to glory in this particularity, in the fact that God has chosen to work through this one particular people to bring his blessing universally to all. And while we hang on to this, because there is no universal blessing apart from this particular choosing, this particular faith, we honor Abram and Mary best as we emulate them in their own faithful
We need to hear the word of God spoken to us and say with them, Behold the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.